Here on ETX Life Podcast, we invite you to take a peek behind the pine curtain with us as we work to create a culture of supporting women in the East Texas area. Journey with us as we share experiences, create connections, and offer insights on life and business. It's It's all good in in the the piney piney woods. Welcome back to another episode of ETX Podcast. I'm Sierra and I'm here with my co-host Holly. Hello, Holly. Hey, Sierra. How have you been this week? I've been good. Yeah. You know, it's been a busy end of the summer. Yeah. I mean, fall season is kicks up into busy season. It does. It does. That whole vibe, even though we aren't in the back to school hustle, I feel like Mm -hmm. it just is this umbrella that kind of embraces business, home life, right? You can't I guess everybody gets back into the swing of things. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. So so it's been a busy week, but um, we have a fun guest today. Yeah, I'm really excited about this. So I don't know if y'all are familiar with Cut Beef or have heard of it, but um, they are basically pasture raising their cattle uh, to give you a very high quality um, beef product. And they're right here in Tyler, Texas. So we're going to talk to um, a co-owner today. His name is Scott. Yes. They raise their beef on all natural. Yeah. Pasture. Pasture. pasture raised beef. Mm-hmm. Which is nice. And I feel like um, I've really turned a new leaf this year. I've, I don't think... Not because of any reason except for availability, but I had never tried locally raised meat before the past couple of months, ever. Yeah. I'd had eggs. Well, it's more expensive. It it is more expensive. Let's be honest. And it depends on who's doing the shopping, but that bottom line, you know, it's a big deal for people. And sometimes I feel like you, well, especially before the past few years, you have to seek it out more than just like popping into the grocery store. It's not store. readily accessible. If you don't have a Whole Foods right. or something right. like that handy, then yeah, it's not easy to get. And the the price point, and I've often wondered, okay, I get it. I get that the, the cattle isn't, you know, raised in such confined conditions as on a commercial farm. And so I understand that it might be more expensive, but what am I really paying for? Right. Why is it so much more? And I have to convince my husband because he's the first <laughs> one to be like, I don't know Why? about that. It's too much. Yeah. Yeah. So let's course. dig in there. Yes. Let's definitely dig in. I think once you go natural, you won't go back. You won't go back. <laughs> I don't, well, we'll see. You won't go back or at least have a mixture of it. And Let's talk to Scott about some of those questions that we have and really what is the difference. Sounds good. Let's get him on the phone. Hi there. Thanks for joining us, Scott. Um, We have been looking forward to talking to you on the podcast today, and we know that you're one of the co-owners of Cut Beef located here in Tyler, Texas. Can you tell us what motivated you to become a rancher? Uh, I'm not sure what motivated me more than circumstances. Uh, the lifestyle was what I grew up with, but at a much smaller level than where we are now, obviously, uh, grew up on a small, what we called a farm then. And I was more focused on horses, whereas my current business sponsor, co-owner of, uh, cut beef, he is got a background more in showing cattle. So our friendship was natural. Uh, we both had interests that were similar, but they weren't exactly the same, which was good. It helped us not butt heads necessarily or be competitive, but still have similar common grounds. Right. I think that helped us develop the friendship. Um, we began looking at each other more and more as like brothers. Um, and as we grew and went off into college, I went to Texas A&M. He went to Texas Tech. Okay. The idea that we would be ranchers started getting further and further away from me, but not necessarily him. He uh, continuously always had a focus on returning back to East Texas, returning back to the land that uh, he and his family had begun to acquire. I, on the other hand, was starting to think suit and tie life was looking very attractive and... (laughs) having the lawn mowed and coming home and just enjoying dinner. Sure. Uh, That lifestyle was looking very attractive. So my wife and I, we traveled around for uh, the purpose of our careers, 
uh, all in Texas. We stayed in Texas. We went to San Antonio, Fort Worth, and then ultimately back to Tyler. Okay. But it was then as we started uh, looking at the opportunity to come back to Tyler, we had had children at that point. We had twins. So this was about 2007. Uh, we were about 10 years into our careers. Uh, we were, uh, well, we were, we were, we graduated high school in 96 and 98. Were you high so school we sweethearts? Uh, we actually were, yes. <laughs> You're going to get an awe from that. That's just very sweet. Okay, so so when you graduate, did she go to A&M as well? She did, okay. yeah. There's, another, there's a little funny story there about how I ended up at A&M. Um, I, I was actually going to go the other direction, the, the total opposite, but because we started. We won't, we won't mention that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's and I'm one of those Aggies that's kind of okay with the other school because of that but uh-huh. her family was diehard Aggies and I knew if there was a chance for this relationship yeah you had to make a sacrifice I better reconsider my schooling choices so. right. and, and another little side note she and I met of course we went Chapel Hill both of us but that doesn't necessarily mean we knew each other well but her mom was looking for someone to break a horse and lo and behold they called me and I don't know that she would have made that call again. She didn't know that she'd have me 25 years later. That's hilarious. <laughs> Aw, that's still yeah, a good she story. Found another, another horseman to break that horse. But uh-huh. uh, that's kind of where it all started. But okay. uh, as we looked at returning to Tyler in 2007, the idea of the land, the idea of uh, continuing to be involved in agriculture was really weighing on my mind. Uh, people were making jokes at the large company I worked for. It was Fortune 500 company. I'm wearing suit and tie, but I'd started growing my mustache out, you know, kind of a Western look and right. stuff. So people were, were already sensing that something was going on in my head. So we didn't ultimately move back to Tyler till 2009, but in doing so, uh, the, the calling was there. And, and Jeff and I, my partner, we had continued to raise cattle and process our own beef for ourselves but we kind of picked it up even more so in 2009, 2010. And the phenomenon began where our friends and family were asking us more and more for us to cut them some beef. Oh, mm-hmm. so that's where the name came from. The name came from a combination of things, but primarily the fact of the matter is we're very simple people. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. as we were looking at creating a name for this business, which happened in 2014 is when we officially named it and became a a for-profit, if you will. Mm -hmm. Uh, The fact that I I grew up riding cutting horses, the fact that we were actually cutting beef, the fact that we had had more and more people that were coming to us wanting these cuts of beef, Mm -hmm. we simply said, hey, let's name it Cut Beef. It doesn't get much simpler than that. No, I love that. And, you know, Holly and I both have marketing backgrounds and we would have given you that same advice. We would have said, well, keep it simple and to the point. And what is it that you do? So you you guys nailed that one. Well, appreciate it. We always feel good hearing that. Uh, Anytime you look back and you begin a business, you always wonder, could we have, you know, made this subtle change or this little, this little change, this this one idea maybe would have uh, made things go smoother. Well, do you think with your experience in the corporate world that it kind of gave you some insight into that side of the business? Yeah, most definitely. I think as you look at our website, we say it pretty pretty clearly there that we took the knowledge we had accumulated through our business world experience as well as the knowledge that we had continued to uh, accumulate while we raised cattle uh, and then we had created this passion that was growing inside of us. So you mix those three things together. We knew we could raise good meat. We knew it tasted great. We knew we could do it naturally, which was a, a big piece of the pie for us. We weren't looking to be a buzzword. We weren't looking to get in on any fads. This is just the way we did it, quite honestly. Mm-hmm. Is, is we raised them in yeah. pastures. We didn't do feedlots. We used good coastal grasses because we're grass snobs. We You're grass that. snobs. I love that. I feel like that's a shirt. Can you please, can you please yeah, offer yeah, that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah like let's it. make that note. Yeah, I like that. So I mean, it's just the way we are doing it. So the background in business, though, set us up, whereas uh, we knew we needed to create some protocols, some strategy behind the scene. Mm-hmm. So like I said a little bit previously, in 2014, we officially launched as a business. In 2014, the latter half and 2015, people would ask, Hey, what do you do, Scott? I raise beef. Yeah. yeah. Oh, how would we, how would we get your beef? 
Yeah. Ah, you can't yet. Right. It's not available yet. Uh, so that was a real weird feeling when people are asking, oh, so what do you do for a living? Yeah. We're in the cattle business and we sell our, our meat directly to the public. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'd love to buy some of your meat. Mm-hmm. Well, you can't. Right. And the reason for that was we were raising our livestock. We were increasing our number of head. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were acquiring land. We went from having about uh, 200 acres initially to over 1,100. And now we've, we've spread out well beyond wow. that through some uh, relationships with some other ranches. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, so you're, you're working with local ranchers too. So you're helping you're helping out in the bigger picture of that community, it sounds like. Yeah, initially we thought we would do everything ourselves uh, through this natural model of, of pasture-raised beef. Mm-hmm. And as we went down that road uh, in, in 2016, we started officially selling and we only sold at that point quarter, half, and whole cows. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, naturally or organically, what, whatever word you want to use, we like the word natural. Uh, pasture-raised beef. Uh, sorry about that. That's okay. Um, so we liked that word natural. It just represented our personalities better. Right. But as we went through that process, we were trying to do it alone. We wanted to do it through our land and through just our cattle. But in East Texas, there's a reason you don't see a ton of cattle ranchers. Mm-hmm. Land is expensive. Yeah. And a lot of our land is not set up initially anyway, for uh, the grazing of cattle. We're the pine tree country and right. all this tiny woods. Yeah. So there's a reason you don't see a lot of cattle ranches here. And also the cost of goods to have things delivered here is a lot more expensive mm. versus when you have a lump, uh, a lump of ranchers or feedlot operators, such as in the panhandle of Texas, obviously truckloads of materials going there is cheaper than having to divert and send just a little bit to East Texas. That makes sense. Yeah. Lastly on that. So in that point, we, we did realize if we wanted to continue to grow, we needed to look at the opportunities that existed with some other ranchers. And we found a need or a desire within some of the generational ranchers, uh, which neither Jeff nor I were generational ranches. We built our ranches uh, from, from the first acre up. But these generational ranchers had been loading their cattle up and sending them off to what we call net bio cells or to the local cells. And there was a there was a desire to know more about what happened to their cattle. Mm -hmm. So although we don't replace all of that, they still sell a great deal of their their head of cattle to um, these these cells. We do now have relationships with several local ranches where uh, we do it the cut beef way, as we call it, and the cattle are. Uh, raised and finished in the methods that we have learned and and are tried and true, so to speak. So those ranchers are now in a collaboration with us, a partnership with us. They're getting to experience eating their own meat. They're getting to experience walking into a restaurant and perhaps having a ribeye that was raised right there on their ranch on the menu at a local restaurant. So it's really cool. Yeah, that's that's a great, yeah, it's a great feeling. And then being in business with your best friend, I'm assuming that you both take on some of the same roles, but you also probably have some different roles and responsibilities. How do you break that apart? That's a great question. Personality wise, I think it helps a lot because I am really kind of focused on getting the product to the user. Uh, I guess you would call that more of the marketing side. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the front end business side is uh, kind of like a restaurant. You got back of house and you got sure. front of house. Uh, I'm kind of that front of house. I'm, I'm making sure that we're getting into the minds of the consumers and our main consumers are homeowners. There's a, there's often a misconception that we're here for restaurants. Uh, restaurants are by far a, a very small piece of our business. Our, our focus is on the homeowner, making sure that everyone, regardless of their financial situation, can afford to have natural beef in their fridge and freezer at home. Wow. Uh, restaurants are important and we enjoy those uh, and they're a good marketing tool for sure. us, but it, it's certainly not the long-term direction where we intend to uh, be in every restaurant across East Texas or Texas or, or nationally. That's, that's, that's not, not the a goal. Right. 
Now tell us, now we don't know a whole lot about cattle. I mean, if you ask me about cattle, I'm going to say, oh yeah, those Scottish Highlands are so cute with their bangs and I love longhorns. <laughs> but when it comes to beef cattle, I mean, I, I don't know much at all. So what kind of cattle do you raise? We focused in very early on on what we knew and what we liked. And, and we've stayed with that methodology. We were primarily Charlet, uh, which is a, there, there's no true American breed of cattle, but for the most part, these are, these are a French adapted European bloodlines that have come into the United States. And, and for the most part, they're, they're looked at as, as pretty domestic, okay. but there truly is no domestic cattle here in the United States. Uh, but we do Charlet and we've had a lot of success with the Charlet, which is the white cow. If you're driving down the road and mm-hmm. you kind of look over, it's a, it's a white beef cow. Okay. And, we and have, sorry, we, Scott, we've, go yeah, we've got several, sorry, we, we've got the black Angus, obviously. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. Black Angus has, has been one of the best breeds at marketing their breed. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a really good cattle. It, it holds up very well in our, in our uh, environment here in East Texas. So we had the black Angus and we had a Hereford, uh, which again, those are the three primary herd uh, breeds that we run. And then we mixed those. So we didn't want to get stuck with being black Angus. We didn't want to get stuck with being Hereford. We didn't want to get stuck with being Charlet. So we've never at, at any time labeled our beef as such. We have uh, a quality product naturally raised and we do a variation of those three breeds for the most part. Yeah. Uh, okay. And that's where we've gotten today. And then tell us about kind of like a day in the life of a cow on your ranch or, you know, your associates ranches versus like a big commercial operation. So the big commercial operations, I want to, I want to be clear here. I, you know, there, there are, there are colleagues. Sure. And we respect what they do and we understand that there is a need for uh, both of us. Mm-hmm. We prefer and we feel that raising beef naturally, free of hormones and free of antibiotics, we're not saying that doing it otherwise is terrible. But mm-hmm. we say if you can do it without the added antibiotics, the added hormones, which, which essentially are chemicals, if we can do it without those why would we use them? Right. Uh, so it, it's kind of weird. I, we, we certainly do not have any issue with any of our, uh, with any of our uh, brethren that raise cattle differently than we do. It, it just mm-hmm. wasn't for us. And again, it goes back to the way we were raised doing it. So the day in the life of our cow, I can tell you that a lot better than trying to explain the difference because I think the difference is pretty obvious. Uh, anybody that's that's experienced, um, you know, watching television or traveling through different parts of Texas or Kansas, they've seen a feedlot. Right. The dense. Seeing what that looks like, the yeah. dense population of cattle. Sure. That you smell it before you see it. <laughs> I was waiting for you to say that. That's yeah. right. So, yeah. <laughs> it's okay. Us, I'll say it, Scott. I'll let you off the hook. We, we, us, we know you're not going to talk about it. it. Yeah. Yeah, your, your nose isn't going to get to work near as hard with us. We we average four acres per head, which is uh, pretty unheard of for the most part. Uh, which means every every animal has tons of space to roam. Our animals have natural shade. We've we've obviously got those tree coverage, like we talked about the pine trees, but we've got obviously the oaks and and, and other types lining our pastures. Every pasture, and, and we have them generally broken from twenty to fifty acres are our our pastures are lots, if you will. And every pasture has got natural water source. So as a cattle, as a cow at one of our ranches, it's, it's a pretty sweet life. Right. Uh, you're enjoying a normal, as we attribute it to lifestyle where you're getting to uh, live very unstressed. And mm-hmm. we use that word specifically stressed because we believe the, the quality of the meat, the taste of the meat, has a lot to do with the stress level that animal experiences prior to being harvested. Sure. Mm-hmm. sure. Well, just like we've talked about on our show before, humans, when we're stressed out, how what that effect can have on our bodies, I would imagine the same would be for animals as well. 
amazing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. And people some don't the, think about that the, a lot. Some of those answers are right there in, in common sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, so about how old is a cow before it becomes meat? How long of the good life does it get? <laughs> All right, so this is a this is an interesting point here. So this is a little bit of our of our secret Uh-oh. in regards to our timing, but okay. I'll tell you this. So a lot of people struggle with the difference between a cow, a steer, and a heifer. Uh, I'm not going to say never, but I will say as of ever, we, we have not been in the habit of processing cows. And a cow is labeled a cow at the point where it's given birth oh. to a calf. Oh, thank you for educating us. I feel like I definitely learned something. Okay, so a heifer is a female and a steer is a male. That's so a heifer is a female that has never had a calf. That makes sense. Okay. Okay. Now, generally speaking, a heifer will have a calf by the time she is two and a half to three years old and no longer be a heifer. If at that point she has not had a calf, something is either wrong internally just as kind mm-hmm. of the example was before mm-hmm. uh same as within a human mm-hmm. there are the same organs the reproductive organs right something is either wrong within that cow heifer in this situation right or the landowner doesn't have a bull or access to semen so they the owner of this animal is not breeding it on purpose okay okay could be for show purposes it could be as a family pet which sure. you described how many exist etc okay. <laughs> the steer is a male, so we all know the word bull. Right. right. A bull is a male that still has its balls. Right, not, not castrated. Yeah. That's okay. okay, so a steer has been a castrated male. Okay. A steer has been castrated, and we believe, too, this is part of the timeline, we think it's very important that we steer our animals within a certain time frame of birth. Now, that's two part. Number one, we believe it has an effect on the quality and the taste of meat mm-hmm. Two, similarly speaking, the younger we're able to accomplish that, the less stress and pain the mm-hmm. animal incurs. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So as, as of now, cut beef focuses only on processing, harvesting steers. And okay. these are animals that are male and are not being introduced into the reproductive system as bulls. And a lot of that has to do with genetics, which mm-hmm. we use a lot of, and other, you know, just uh, Jeff, for example, can use his eye and often tell a lot of things to do with different characteristics that would be suitable to maintain them as a bull or whether this animal should be harvested as meat. Okay. So with the heifers that obviously you can only keep so many, um, do you typically just sell off your excess stock or how does that work? We are finally in a period of time where we're able to sell off uh, some of our heifers for the longest period of time. Again, going back to 2014, we've been trying to grow our herds. Okay. So mm-hmm. we've been keeping all of what we call replacement heifers. Okay. To make uh, milk these more are babies. We, these are heifers that we deem uh, as good quality and we wish to keep on the ranch and breed to our bulls. Which Got we it. Run, we run a combination of those breeds I mentioned before, Hereford bull, Charlet bull, and Angus bulls. And about how much does a bull weigh? The variation can, can kind of blow your mind. For example, all of our heifers we put on what we call a LBW Angus. So that's a low birth weight Angus bull. The most important calf, very similar to the human body, but the most important calf is that first calf to see how that mama's going to hold up. Is right. she going to be able to have that calf very smoothly, mm-hmm. very, very cleanly? And then is she going to be a good mother to that calf naturally? Mm-hmm. Or is she going to need help from us as the ranchers? Right. Our goal with as many cattle as we have, you may hear some old timers talk about having to go out in the pasture and pull a calf. Sure. I've heard that. You may hear conversation like, uh, you know, we, we got to make sure that the coyotes don't get them. Right. Uh, it's calving season. They've got to be on the lookout for buzzards because because buzzards are a nuisance. They'll they'll peck the eyes out. Oh, good to know. Don't mean to get too graphic. Oh there, no, give I, it to us. We want to know the we want to know everything <laughs> the behind the scenes stuff. Yeah, I didn't know that. So a good mother though, a good mother, and again, our focus is on having a good mother that's going to birth a cow easily, birth its calf easily, and is going to protect that calf. 
so that we're not having to constantly focus on each calf that's being born, worried about whether a coyote is going to get it, worrying about whether a mother's not going to take to it, worrying about obviously buzzers, because these are natural phenomenons that right. exist. So through genetics and through um, our years and years of experience, we're never having to sit in a situation of stress. Like you'll hear some of these owners of herds of 20 to 30, 50 cattle. Mm -hmm. They're constantly in that, that state of wonder and worry about their calves being born. We, we, we don't have the ability to do that. If we did, it would, it would consume our days sure. and obviously there'd be no other productivity. Sure. No, that makes sense. So yeah. one of the questions that we had, and you know, there's probably some misconceptions out there too, and you're going to have to educate us, but when it comes to slaughtering and processing cattle, you know, we're used to seeing them being, you know, driven down the road in a big truck and you know where they're going. Um, but how does that work uh, with cut beef? Do you use a facility that's on site? Do you send them off? How, how do you guys do that? Yeah, currently all of our, all of our meat at cut beef is USDA inspected, which means uh, agent of the government of the USDA, uh, U.S. Department of Agriculture is on site at the time that we unload the animal the animal is inspected prior and at the time of harvesting slaughtering the animal is inspected to ensure there's no disease it's free of anything that could potentially harm anyone consuming it okay we believe in that we, we think it's an important part mm -hmm. of the process now that said i don't love the government overreaching and being involved in uh, aspects of telling us as business owners how we should and shouldn't do our job. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think this one falls under that common sense that we should have someone that is knowledgeable about these potential risks in meat, whether it be yeah. any type of meat, any type of protein. Sure. We should have someone naturally. It shouldn't, shouldn't fall upon the government. We should naturally, as consumers of, of food, want to make sure someone's taking a look and making sure. Right. Mm -hmm. That said, uh, this does fall under a government program, and it is a government-provided service through the USDA in which they inspect our animals. So we are not on site with that. We, we do put our animals in a trailer. Okay. Uh, our animals go into probably the Rolls-Royce of trailers. Okay. Mm -hmm. Again, our goal is to keep them... Less uh, stressed, yeah. Very, very calm, mm -hmm. very comfortable. So... Uh, our animals come into our pens and they feel very comfortable. We, we allow our pens to stay open when they're not in use so that the animals can, you know, walk through them, relax, use them, you know, be in them, uh, even in times where we're not actually working the cattle. Right. So right. they're used to it. It's not a That's big right. deal to them. Sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, at that point, they're comfortable going into the pens. And then as we work them, uh, I don't know. Have you ever heard the term hot shots? Only no. as it refers to firefighters or basketball. Okay. Yeah. So, there, so several different terms, but within the, within the, within the, the world that we live in or working cattle, the hot shots, a little, a little stun gun, if you will, with a, uh, uh -huh, a okay. rod at the end. Mm -hmm. We don't use any stun guns. We don't use any cattle uh, prods or yeah. We do use a soft cattle prod, and basically all it does is, and we use a, a basically I call it a, a noise box, but very gently we're able to move our cattle into the trailers very calmly. Generally speaking, if you if you watch a TV show or you watch something on on um, the news, you may see four or five, six different cowboys up there wrangling and getting those animals into the trailer, getting them into the mm -hmm. pens. Yeah. It, it's, it's not uncommon for one of us to do that with our cattle. Again, it's just the environment we've created. It's, it's, the, it's the influence that we have through the time spent being out there among them, uh, whether it be horseback or we do a lot side by side now, just letting them feel comfortable. And then as we move them, it's very common for it to just be me out there with the truck and the trailer. Uh, it's very common that it be a ranch manager or it be just Jeff. Obviously, if we can all be there together, it's great. And mm -hmm. it, it simply makes things a little bit faster. But that's very important for us that our animals be able to move freely and that even a single individual be able to work our cattle. So they go into the trailer and then uh, we, we, we've got several processors we use, but we've got one main one 
Uh, we prefer to try to, to do the bulk of our business there just because they understand us. We understand them. But especially since COVID, uh, we, we've had to uh, create some new relationships with a couple other processors and they do a great mm-hmm. job. But we've got a primary. We know the time it takes. We know the, the energy that should be uh, used per animal. Uh, things like stopping for gas or stopping for lunch. These are things that aren't ideal for the cattle that are trailered at this point. Uh, The time of day is very important. So right now, for example, we're in August. We don't want to be hauling cattle at at one o'clock in the afternoon. We don't want to be hauling cattle at four o'clock. So that means it's an early morning for us. If we're taking cows to the processor uh, or or steers in this example, if we're taking steers to the processor, then we're going to be up about 6 a.m. in the pens at 7. And then we're going to be sitting at the processor's door at 8 a.m. Taking that stress off the animal, the heat, et cetera. Well, that's mm-hmm. good to hear. Yeah, yeah that, that makes good. it makes me feel better. Yeah. So, what are some of people's misconceptions about cattle ranching that you've heard? Do you ever get a day off? Because that's what I imagine, right? Like, you wake up when it's still dark, right? With the rooster, with the rooster, <laughs> you have your cattle dog, and yeah. y'all go out and check on the cows. It's like, is that is that how it is, or is that just TV shows? It, yeah. <laughs> I think. That's the way it is for a lot, a lot of people. And, and that's the way it can be for us at times. But I, I think it goes back to our business background. Uh, we try to run a Monday through Friday operation. Now, there's a lot of variables when you're ranching that prevents that, particularly during mm-hmm. hay season. Uh, the weather dictates often when we bell hay. Sure. We try to run things very much like a business in, in terms of Monday through Friday, and we want that for our employees so that they can have a quality of life, enjoy the evenings with their family, enjoy their weekends. Mm-hmm. But we are in a 365-day-a-year business. These animals have to be uh, attended to every single day. So what we've done is, is very similar to a business that operates primarily Monday through Friday, but maybe has Saturday hours, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's take a bank, for example. Uh, because that was my background. We were open on Saturdays. That was a very important day of the week for us. And so within my population of my employees, I wanted to make sure they rotated those Saturdays. Right. So that's the same thing we try to do. We try to make sure that uh, no one is is primarily being overworked. No one is primarily being asked to do those early, early mornings or those late, late nights and weekends that no one is is pulling more than their fair weight. Mm Mm-hmm. We also look at the personalities of our staff, of, of, our, of our team, if you will. Jeff, for example, is, is uh, he really enjoys working into the evening hours. And he enjoys, you know, getting, getting physically uh, out on the ranch on weekends and doing some of that work. Uh, he's at a stage of life where that's really something that consumes a lot of his time and he enjoys. Whereas I've got some kids on traveling soccer teams and what have you. So weekends yeah. are or a little more hit or miss for me. So we use a lot of communication. We, we take our time. Uh, we, we operate within the realms best we can of a normal business week. But when those things happen that, that cause us to have to bell hay on weekends or, or we have to work cattle on weekends or a, a fence breaks, which is part of ranching, uh, an animal gets out, which fortunately we, we, we avoid for the most part because we, maintain really good fences but trees fall things happen sure Uh, you got to kick it into gear even you know sometimes it's that sheriff calling at 3 a.m saying hey uh (laughs) power lines down hit hit your fence you got Mm -hmm. cattle in the middle of of the fm the farm to market road so Mm -hmm. things happen but i I think we really mitigate it very well which gives us uh, the long-term ability to age well if, if you will well yeah and it, it keeps your employees happy which you know keeps your company running smoothly so that's that's good to hear so we were all wondering what's your favorite cut of meat and how do you like it cooked yeah well oh two i'll mention we do have the cattle dog though oh you do so walter the cattle dog uh he is uh he's kind of become a like a mascot uh, famous, uh, you know, he's, yeah he's become a mascot he's, he's become a, a a celebrity, if you will, around here. I, he usually travels everywhere with me, but he did get uh, injured about, it's been a year now. So we used uh, Instagram and Facebook to kind of 
help us deal with that because we thought we were going to lose him anyway. Texas A&M Veterinary Hospital did an awesome job. They they saved him and he's now kind of a bionic dog. But well, did he yeah. get did he get kicked or run over or? He got hit. We were actually checking a uh, fence. Uh, one of the things you mentioned, and it was very early in the morning. It was, it was before sun up, and uh, we were out, coffee in hand, checking fence, just very relaxing. And uh, sometimes it's easy to put your guard down when you're the only one up at that hour. Sure. And obviously, every now and then we get reminded that there were other people up. And, and this particular uh, situation was a nurse that was heading in early. Mm. And uh, it was just, it, it was unfortunate, but it turned into a real learning experience. And we got to see a lot of great people work hard and uh, realize wow. the value Walter brings and how many people Walter had touched. In his yeah. Life. And he's doing okay now. He's doing great. Yeah. Physically he's doing fantastic mentally. I think he's gotten used to uh, the extra love and attention. So <laughs> now he's spoiled. Yeah. with him a couple times in uh, the last couple months. So he's kind of back out there, but I think he's enjoying air conditioned life and being the mascot a lot more than actually working. Cows Work, and than working it. Yeah. Well, I can't blame him for that. But to answer your question, I, I, I apologize. No, I that's okay. I wanted to know about Walter. To answer your question, the, you know, most, most people, most men, anyway, they're going to blurt out the ribeye or they're going to say something like the cowboy cut. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, actually, the New York strip is my favorite cut. Uh, we do cut it a little bit different than most people, which I think adds to that. We keep a really big fat cap on it. Mm, okay. And I enjoy cooking at a really high temperature. So I cook at 600 plus degrees. So you like sear it, basically. It's getting that fat cap and mm -hmm. it's just turning it into mm. like butter. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah. Uh, that is actually my favorite cut. I'm a salt and pepper guy. Um, yeah. Keep it simple. Uh, I'm a very simple, let the meat do the talking. But last night, for example, I'm getting ready to make a post. Um, as, as I was waiting for this to kick off, I was just working on it. I, I tried that peanut butter marinade and I got to tell you, as a salt and pepper guy, I was kind of impressed. I okay, mean, you need to some of these other things. Huh. Interesting. Okay. I, I mean, I'm not opposed. I'm That's interesting. <laughs> now, tell me a little bit, because dry aging, you hear that a lot, and you, you know it's supposed to mean something good, but what does it really mean? So, I think a lot of people, when they think about it for a moment, it starts clicking and it makes sense. But when, when we sell meat, we sell it by the... Pounds. Pounds. Yeah. So yeah. there you go. So yeah. And what, again, going the, the human body thinking about what makes up the, the largest amount of weight in any living being? Bones? Muscle? Muscle. Yeah, probably muscle. Yeah. Well, what about water? Oh, yeah, well, well, I think water. about that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. You're right. Cause we're, we are all water. We're like 70 something percent. Well, okay. Fair. I'm, I'm, we're not gonna, we're not gonna pretend to say that we know which one of those was number one, two or three, but Hey, I think those, <laughs> those are probably in the top three. Uh, but when you dry age, essentially you are taking the moisture out, which is weight. And, and the more moisture you remove, the more weight you're removing. Now, the, the biggest piece of that, the reason we do that is because I want you to buy meat. I don't want you to buy water. Okay. But beyond that, even even beyond that, it is is proven that X number of days aging leads to a more tender, more tasty cut of meat. Particularly I, within beef. I, I don't want to get into other... Well, I've seen some of those, books. you know, fancy chef shows that they're like, oh, this has been dry aged for... And they can go a long time longer than you would think is okay but i guess that's the thing so the process of dry aging the, the reason that a lot of folks don't do it obviously anytime we are holding something of the size of a carcass of an of, a, of an animal like a cow of a steer it takes up a lot of space sure space that we must maintain between 33 and 35 degrees mm -hmm. so not only do I need a lot of space, I need to keep this space at 33 to 35 degrees, which costs money. Right. Space costs money. Electricity costs money. Mm -hmm. Refrigeration units, very sure. expensive. So the whole dry aging process, there is a huge benefit to it in that it creates this more tender, this more tasty cut. But the drawback is it's taking time, which time is money, mm -hmm. and it's taking space. Space is money. Right. Now, you take one of my 16-ounce ribeyes that's been dry-aged 21-plus days, and you take a 16-ounce ribeye from 
someone that's done the minimum, which the USDA requires three days. Mm -hmm. So let's take a three day aged steak versus a 21 day aged steak, cook them side by side. What phenomenon do y'all think is going to happen? Well, I feel like one's going to, one's going to lose all its moisture and one's going to like plump up again or something. Yeah. Or shrink. Yeah. Yeah. So tell you're, you're in the right area. Yeah. The shrink is the key word right there. Mm-hmm. The, the one that, that three days, you're going to lose some of those ounces that you just went mm-hmm. and paid for. And, mm-hmm. and perhaps you spent less than you would have spent on mine. Mm-hmm. Right. But you're going to, you're going to see it shrinks. So you, you end up with less pounded. yield. Right. Yeah. And to us and to what we talk to our consumers about is yield. Yield is a lot more important to us than the purchase size. Yeah. So in, in this example, I did two steaks at 16 ounces you're going to end up with my steak being closer to that original 16 ounces after you prepare it the exact same amount of time as this other steak that was three days. Right. Easier example for for you to maybe see in your mind is a brisket, for example. Right. Mm -hmm. Briskets, our average brisket's about 15 pounds. When you go purchase a brisket that has experienced this, I hate to use the word minimum, but you know, it has. Sure. uh, has only been in the um, in the aging process for the three, let's even say they went five days, what have you, versus a brisket like mine, because I age my entire carcass, which is another conversation, but I age my entire carcass, which includes every cut of meat on it, including my ground beef, and that's why my ground beef doesn't shrink as much either as, as ground beef that you would buy um, elsewhere. So you take this brisket, our yield is about 70%. Whereas the average yield off of a uh, grocer shelf is about 50%, closer to 50. Wow. Now there's some trimming methods. There's some different things involved there. So, you know, we could get very technical, but long story short, you're going to spend a little bit more money on mine. And and some may say a lot more money, but you're going to end up with more edible product. Mm -hmm. So in the end, did you really spend all that much more money and you know where your product came from and you know what it doesn't have in it for sure that being antibiotics and hormones so to me there needs to be a lot more education and awareness around what we're putting into our bodies and and less talk about the surface level ingredients and more about yield and conversations like that no i'm glad you explained that because that was kind of one of the things that always comes up when you talk about buying you know, pasture or grass fed beef. Well, it's too expensive. You know, what's the, what's the big difference? I don't care if they keep a cow in a small pen or not. It doesn't matter to me. Well, it goes way beyond that. It sounds like, so I'm glad you explained that to us. Yeah. It goes back to, like you said, what, what are you putting into your body? And as I mean, and even if you want to go even further than that, like talking about the yield, if you're talking about cost savings, sure. Over time, yeah. it, you're kind of, you're losing um, out on edible meat product, but you know, paying less, but are you really paying yeah. less at are that point? Are you really point? saving much? Yeah. yeah. No, that's good to know. So we were kind of making a joke about what it would be like <laughs> to go to a, a cattle rancher's house for dinner. For dinner. <laughs> and so we, we were going to ask you this question. So I wouldn't be invited back to dinner at your house. If a, I asked for my meat well done. B, I put ketchup all over it or C told you the lamb is delicious. So <laughs> then we made a joke and said, well, maybe it's all of the above. So do you, do you have one out there that would just be totally offensive to somebody that is invested in raising really good quality meat? All your, all your answers had beef in them or meat in them. So hey, you're, <laughs> you're, true. you're okay in my book. Now you're not breaking my book, but hey, you're eating meat and that's ultimately what we want. We want people eating meat because at the end of the day, beef is the best protein on the planet and no one has found anything naturally that even comes close to beef. And as we know, the body protein is one of the key sources uh, of keeping a healthy mind and body. So you ate meat. So all three of your answers <laughs> at my table, if you had said tofu, then, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Fair. You would have to go. Mine, mine is some kind of health reason. We do. I've got a, a sister-in-law. She she likes her meat well done. Okay. We still She's still in the, the family. Okay. <laughs> we do make it a big deal every time. Like dinner will be delayed, guys. Y'all <laughs> wait. Get a novel. The rest of y'all's food's ready, but we don't we don't start cutting until every 
every plate is on the table. So right. we will all now wait for hers. All now wait for her. um, my friend, she says that she is a secondary vegetarian. The cow eats the vegetables and she eats the cow. <laughs> That's, yeah, that's a good kind of, one. That's a good one. I feel like that's another shirt. Yeah. We also say, well, we've got, well, we, we can show you a couple of those, but we do have a shirt that says, uh, if you got a sauce it, toss it. So, <laughs> yeah, there you go. I like that. You mentioned the ketchup and, and ultimately uh, there are some good, like uh, Villa Montez, who we provide steaks for here in Tyler. Uh, they do a chimichurri sauce. Oh yeah. That yeah. is okay. Mm, I but, agree. Our shirt, our joke is if you've got to use ketchup or you've got to use Heinz 57 or you've got to use A1, if you've got to is the key word. If if you truly love that flavor of Heinz 57, okay, that's that's you. (laughs) You do you. Kind of. You do you. Yeah, I love it. (laughs) But if you've got to put it on there because the steak is obviously not good and so forth, and that's, that's really where we come we lose our, we lose our wits. Yeah. I hear you. Yeah. Now I know that people can walk into your storefront here in Tyler, um, and, and get beef and, and other things, right. Also chicken and pork. Is that right? Yeah. So the chicken and the pork, that's a relationship that we've created, uh, basically by the demand of our patrons, they wanted to have access to other pasture raised natural products Mm -hmm. and, you know, it's, it, it was just over and over. We heard this. So basically, uh, a couple of years in, uh, late 2018, maybe early 2019, uh, we we teamed up with 1514 Farms and started doing uh, their natural chicken. Great family. Uh, yeah, I follow family. them on Instagram as well. Fantastic people. Mm-hmm. And so we, we teamed up with them. And again, our goal, though, our goal is for people to buy direct uh, from their farmers, from their ranchers in order to keep, you know, cost and keep the money where it needs to be. Um, so we wanted to make sure we were able to bring you 15, 14 farms type product, but not gouge you in the process of doing it. Mm-hmm. So the relationships with our farmers and ranchers, we're not trying to be a market. We don't claim to be a, a market. We're not a butcher shop, but what we are is a place where ourselves, meaning cut beef and the ranchers that produce cut beef, as well as now 15, 14 farms. And we've got a great pork producer now, Price Family Farms, where we're able to bring you this chicken and pork that's natural. And again, the goal is for us at Cut Beef basically to cover any costs that we may incur, like credit cards, uh, any packaging, you know, a little bit of utility, et cetera. Sure, running the business, yeah. Just, but we're not trying to profiteer off of these guys. The goal is for these guys to enjoy the fruits of their labor and for ultimately there to be great product on kitchen tables. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we wanted to be an outlet since we do have this retail space which we call our HQ, our headquarters. Uh, we do have this space that is accessible to Tylerites and, and those from around the Tyler area that they could come in here and have access to chicken, pork. And we're, we're really working on trying to maintain an egg supply as well. Okay. And then you also introduced some subscription boxes. Is that true too? Yeah, that's that in itself is the subscriptions and the, packages of the bulk orders are our primary focus and so we created the hq not not to have necessarily this convenience for a retail type establishment we created it because we operated out of the ranch and that was great except ups didn't love us coming out there all the time yeah and our internet out on the ranch Mm, is kind of basically our hot spot yeah Yeah, so as we were growing and as our orders because we ship all over the united states we've now shipped to all 50 states wow congratulations yeah thank you very much we have reoccurring customers in alaska every single month believe it or not california is one of our largest markets in which we send um, quarter cows outside of our outside of our delivery area here in in east texas where we use our van Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. california is the largest market in which we actually ship well, you know, that doesn't or, actually surprise me only because there's such a bigger interest in, I think, health in that area as well. And I think, too, because land is so expensive there, if you're trying to buy 
locally there, it's probably cheaper to buy it all the way from, from Texas, Texas and, and have it. Mm-hmm. Wow. But I'm so glad to hear that. And that's really encouraging for other, you know, small ranchers and, and farmers to hear as well, Scott, because I think, you know, a lot of times we talk and we help people start businesses and yeah. we hear their feedback and what their concerns mm-hmm. are and their their worries and you know, from our conversation today, you know, it sounds like that market is growing. Yeah, I, I think COVID has um, helped people become more aware of the options that exist beyond just mm-hmm. the grocery store. Sure. And it's brought some attention to buying local, shopping mm-hmm. local. Supporting, those, yeah. Uh, in those times. And then we had Snowmageddon happen here in Tyler. Right. And that, yes. was, that was another driver in which some of the the medium to large suppliers across our state and country basically shut down for the week. Yeah. You saw how fragile that, you know, food supply chain really is. And just one thing like that, whether it's weather or in this case, you know, the pandemic as well um, can really interrupt that. And there were weeks and weeks, there was no bacon on the shelf. There was no, you know, you couldn't even get it if you wanted it. So that's good to hear that um, smaller ranchers and farms have filled that, that void. Like many small business, we, you know, we weren't going to say no, but we had no option for, you know, in that Snowmageddon, for example, ETMC was actually out of, out of all meat and they couldn't get their supplier in there. So we had to get out in the four by four and make the trip. And we took absolutely every item we had in stock. We took it and delivered it to ETMC. And when we did that, or I guess I should say UT Hill. Uh, bad ha- old habits. But <laughs> yeah. As we did that, it was it was so cool as we pulled up, and you know you get a good feeling from doing that. But you're also like I'm out here in this, and there's risk, and there's this, and there's that. But as we pulled up, that staff was out waiting for us as we pulled up on the curb there, and unloaded that meat, and it felt so good. They were basically applauding and thanking, and, oh. and yeah, you went above day. above and beyond there. So that's. That's really heartwarming to hear. And it's just, you know, makes, I think, other people feel like they want to invest in, in, in your company. Business. Yeah, yeah it's, how, it's mm-hmm. one of those things. It's neighbors looking out for neighbors during that time. And um, I know for us, we try to look for all the local places that we could spend our money at. I mean, with the pandemic and stuff, you know, we realized how precious those local businesses are. Right. And, you know, it keeps, it keeps our friends in business. Yeah, absolutely. Well, tell us, you know, to wrap, wrap it up. I'm really curious to hear what are your future plans? Do you have kind of like a, a five-year sort of outlook that you'd like to share? Uh, Sure. Sure. And and just to digress just for a moment too. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of companies that have national maybe signs or logos that are really locally owned. Uh, there's mm-hmm. some great franchises here in Tyler that mm-hmm. have local ownership. And there's, there's a lot of companies here in Tyler that obviously are national brands, but all the right. employees, you know, at these locations sure. are here, pay taxes here, they're involved. So there, there is a balance of both, but it, it truly is as a consumer, I just want to really make sure that you're taking time and thinking about those options that exist and, mm-hmm. and at least doing some balance when it comes to, uh, buying local, shopping locally owned, locally managed, and then being aware that there are some really good brands out there that the people live in your neighborhoods that yeah. that maybe own the Burger King, for example. So Absolutely. being aware that just because they have a national name out front doesn't necessarily mean that it's not impacting uh, local people right here when they're not, when their business isn't good. Right. That's fair. Sure. Yeah. We, I, um, my job, my regular job is Um, I do destination marketing for Visit Tyler, and we always have people tell us um, they want a list of the local restaurants, locally owned restaurants. And it's the it's the same thing with that. We're we're like, well, technically, yeah, yeah, that's that's, you know, a a complicated question. I think you're wanting like not a chain. chain. Yeah. yeah. Um, But it's just an education process of what what that means, because like you said, there are locally owned Chick-fil-A's here and locally owned, right. you that know, employ a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Employ a lot of people. Right. And they're the first ones to step up in situations as well. But Absolutely. I think, yeah. I think we've learned there's some good balance there and, and the education is a key part there, but we got to move to closing. You said, yeah, I'm curious, you know, what, what do we have to look forward to um, you guys kind of have in the works? 
So we are planners, uh, we're organizers. Uh, we have been fairly aggressive in our last five years. Uh, you look at 2014 as far as our official founding year, and then 2016 was the was the first year we actually started really, you know, making sales, so to speak. So uh, we're kind of at our five year now. Uh, we wish to continue to grow our monthly subscription. That's a uh, very important part of the business for us. Uh, those customers become very much like family to us. Those those patrons, uh, we we really enjoy. We enjoy the moments we get to actually touch base with them, uh, the camaraderie uh, we, as we deliver to their door. Mm -hmm. uh, we want to continue to get more involved in uh, local businesses that are outside of the you know the food business. Uh, we want to continue to remind people that beef, chicken, pork makes great gifts as well. I can tell you this, we, we've never had anyone get upset when they receive a cut beef gift card, <laughs> as a anniversary gift at work or as a birthday gift, et cetera, a Christmas gift. We have a hundred percent batting percentage. We got a thousand percent, I guess I should say, on the, on the percentage of happy customers when it comes yeah. to receiving protein. It, it's, it's really cool that the reactions we get when people receive uh, gifts. So we want to continue to allow businesses to know that we, we can service that need. You've got parents maybe that live in another state and you're wondering what to get them for their, for their gift because you're away. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we can send that. And, you know, there's, there's a couple brands that I could name that people think of nationally as far as, you know, sending meat and so forth. We want to be thought of in the same way that if, if you've got family living in Washington state, for example, and you want to send them a gift, send them something locally from Tyler. Yeah. Uh, I love that idea. Uh, whether that be, cut beef or, uh, you know, whether it be cut beef or whether it be one of our other great Tyler companies that makes, mm -hmm. you know, Tyler candles or what mm -hmm. have you examples yeah. or uh, I hate to even say one because there's so many I could say. Sure. Yeah. Uh, but we just want people to think of, Hey, you don't have to send them from, uh, uh, that state place in Nebraska. You can send them from right here in Tyler, Texas. Yeah. Oh, yeah I love absolutely. that. We're going to continue to get more involved in the community. We, we enjoy doing our events. We do an annual hamburger cook-off, uh, which we attracted about 700 people to this year. Wow. Uh, we do a annual tailgate party, which is uh, September 25th of this year, in which we team up with some local companies, local distributors, and have live music, and we watch uh, NCAA football. We're going to continue to do more and more events. We try to keep these events either free or, or very reasonably cost for the entire family to attend. And we're going to start doing some uh, dinners with chefs so that chefs mm -hmm. can start explaining some of the things they're doing and, and you get to sit there and enjoy your dinner and hear about it. Uh, and we're going to get some of our better patrons as far as uh, by better, I mean, the ones that really like to show off what they're doing that doesn't necessarily make them always the best at what they're doing, but mm -hmm. the, the ones that really want to get out and show off, we're going to start doing some cookouts here at the HQ where they come in and smoke ribs or briskets or even do steaks, et cetera, and tell you and show you what they're doing. And again, those will be free of charge. Excellent. Oh, yeah, that looks, I'm, I'm excited and looking forward to a lot of that. And I just want our listeners to know, you know, you can walk into the storefront there on Old Bullard Road in Tyler. You can go to the website, cutbeef.com, follow along on their Instagram and Facebook, and you'll see what recipes, um, some great updates of Walter <laughs> and, and we can kind of keep up with what you're doing. So I really encourage our listeners to follow along and, and try something new. And like Scott said, you don't have to, it's not an all or nothing thing. You know, you can just incorporate as little or as much as you want and then go from there. Excellent. Well, thanks. It's, thanks for joining us today. I know I learned a lot. Time. Yes, for sure. I learned a whole lot. Yeah. <laughs> We'll be in touch. We definitely would love to, um, you know, keep educating people because mm -hmm. we think it's important. And mm -hmm. yeah, that'll be fun. Yeah, sounds good. So have a great day, Scott. And thanks again. All right, y'all too. Thank you. All Thank right, take you. care. Well, I don't know about you, but I learned a lot, actually, from the difference between a cow, a steer, and a heifer. Mm -hmm. You can quiz me on that. Yeah. I will be your, <laughs> your I, team I member. I had no idea. I thought, like, cow and heifer were just interchangeable. Well, and I just kind of looked at cow as, like, a blanket term for all livestock all that were... Not bulls. Not bulls, <laughs> yeah. So Same. I learned a lot about that. Same. And I grew up, like, in the country, um, so my, you should know. Yeah, my uncle actually had a farm like just down the street and 
we bottle fed oh, calves. baby calves. Yeah, you say that, but it's not as great as it is. No, I've only done it once, and I was shocked by how strong they, they are, are, and they're they going to pull you over with that bottle. And I was about, like, 10, yeah. so it was even more. I remember thinking, like, these cow mamas really have it oh, rough. Like, yeah. this is this is intense. And it then intense. you think about milking a cow, and you're like, well, this is nothing. This is <laughs> gentle compared to how those calves are. Yeah. yeah. So I really felt like I had the, the no on some of this cattle stuff, but no, I didn't. No, you didn't. No, I didn't. And I have driven – there's a particular place um, in California – that is known for, um, you know, basically commercial operations like that. And it's like I said, you know, you can smell it before you get to it and it's disgusting. Mm -hmm. And then you can smell it when it's miles behind you Mm -hmm. and it's still really disgusting and you can't help but kind of feel bad, you know, Mm -hmm. for the animals. And so after talking to Scott, I, I think it's just a like threefold thing, right? You're investing in something, a small business, Mm -hmm. a local small business, which is hugely important to us. And in turn, they reinvest into their local community which right. is admirable and yes. the right thing to do so I appreciate that as well that. as support other local businesses yes. like the, the 1514 yeah, farm, yeah. Mm-hmm. farms with the chicken and the pork exactly thing. so um, I thought that was great and then just the fact that you know you get the sense that he really genuinely cares about his animals he does yeah it did I mean it did seem like that like and knowing they have a, a happy life you know they're out there mm-hmm. living their best well and life. every step of the way they take care of the mental health of their mm-hmm. animals um which is you know even down to the type of trailer they use right it's really interesting I yeah thought. I never thought about it like that like when I went and bought um locally produced or processed meat before I never thought about those details ever. Well, and I think it's easy, and we've probably mentioned some things in past episodes, but I think it's real easy to desensitize yourself to the process. And when you have kids, Mm -hmm. they ask questions that you have long (laughs) put out of your mind, right? Like, well, where does this come from? Or how is this grown? Or how? So I think it's really important that, you know, whether it's from a parent perspective or just like a good citizen of the environment (laughs) too, to kind of acknowledge those things. And where does your food come from? And like Scott said too, with COVID and Snowvid Mm -hmm. and all that stuff that really interrupted the supply chain and people were freaking out. Yeah. Right. It wasn't just toilet paper you're worried about. Suddenly you're thinking, well, what if I don't have access to protein all of a sudden? What would happen? Right. So I just think he put a different spin on that and he gave me a lot of confidence that you know, it's meaningful, it's important, and it's healthier right? to right. shop local like that. So I'm, I'm on board. I've been <laughs> kind of waiting for that push to kind of get me over the hump to do it. it. It purely was just a financial thing in my mind. But now that he kind of broke it down, mm-hmm. I think it's... Well, I have... So my sister had chickens and she didn't kill them for me, but we always had like a eggs. supply of yeah. eggs. And... I just, once I had those, like I can't go back. I can't go back. Like there's just a couple, a few things like that. Honey is another one. Yeah. Okay. I agree. Elsner Farms honey. That's like, like my Mm go-to. You just cannot substitute local honey. That's true. Either from a grocery store. So that I was already a snob on eggs. I'm already a snob on like, I'll get the grocery store eggs to like cook in stuff. Right. But if then, you're going to eat an egg, but if I'm going to eat an egg for breakfast, you want or whatever, that like I want orange like, yolk. It's so good. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I tried some local meat and I was actually talking to your husband about it, about the difference. And I'm like, you know, we, we got chicken and we pretty much just seasoned it with Salt and pepper. Right, like Scott said. This is chicken. Yeah, keep it simple. And grilled it, and that was basically all you needed. Yeah, I'm excited and about it. And I never it. feel that way about chicken. Steak, I, you know, I do feel kinda that on, on its own. It kind of stands But chicken, mm-hmm. sometimes it's bland or dry. It's true, or, yeah. Oh, my gosh, it was the best chicken well, I've ever had. We don't eat a ton of red meat anyway, so using that excuse of like, oh, well, it's expensive. Well, it's no more expensive than if you'd go out and eat it. 
Absolutely. And have someone else cook mm-hmm. it for you. And but in this, this way case, you get to cook it yourself. Yeah, and it's going to taste better. And they have good recipes, a lot of um, recipes on their website too. So mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to it. If you have tried um, cut beef's meat or if you have sourced meat from another local farmer, we would love to hear about your experience and who you recommend. Yeah, get um, out there and try try it. There's a, I feel like, like I said, in the past five years or so, it's become so much more readily available than it used to be there's farmers markets all over east texas Mm -hmm. that are selling those and you can order online you don't you can order online it's just and have it shipped right to your door Mm -hmm. and and like he said he they even form a connection with these customers that they because it's them taking a steer i guess yeah from from birth to the process right to your it's front cra- door it's a cradle to grave approach a cradle to grave. <laughs> and well, right to your well. front door <laughs> is that not going to do well in the advertising campaign should we yeah, not wouldn't use that say one? that one <laughs> I know it's tricky though. When we were driving the other day, um, I was with my daughter Megan, and we passed a big truck that was loaded down with cattle, and we were both like, "If we had to do that ourselves, we would be vegetarian." So, thank you, Scott, for making <laughs> us don't. feel better about being meat eaters because you can do so responsibly. Yes, absolutely. Let us know on our etxpodcast.com or on our Instagram or Facebook page what you think about locally grown meat and the difference if you've tried it if you try it for the first time please let us know that experience i know you will love it we release a new episode every other week so keep a lookout for that and until next time it's It's all good good in the piney woods. woods